be back with you this morning. I bring you greetings from uh, Stefano Antonella Corazza in Rome, from Marco Di Martino in Ciampino, from Francesco and Rita Foschi in the Latina Church, and from Johnny and Pina Berdini uh, up in Trieste, Italy. Some good work over the past uh, two or three weeks, lots of uh, opportunity to uh, accomplish some, uh, some things that we have been working on for some time there, some, uh, some planning and classes uh, uh, that were conducted that was very fruitful. Uh, I would tell you that uh, the situation in Rome is going very well with Stefano and Antonella and the work that is going on there at the Viasanio Church. Marco's uh, situation uh, is difficult right now. Alessia had surgery about a week ago and was in the hospital for about a week and is back in the coma facility where she stays most of the time. Uh, it's been a, <clears throat> been a very difficult period for Marco, uh, but I was in touch with him again in the last, last day or so, and uh, he is encouraged by the progress that, that she's made uh, from that surgery and so that situation uh, continues to move forward. The work at Champino, where he has opened the new work, is continuing to go well. Uh, in fact, several encouraging things happening there, and so glad about that. Francesco and Rita Foschi uh, today send their greetings. They, along with about half of the church in Latina, uh, are caravanning down to Poggio Marino, where Elio is preaching, and they are beginning a conferenza there tonight. Uh, from Rome down to, from where they live in Rome, on the south side of Rome, down to Poggio Marino, is about uh, between two and three hours, depending on who's driving and how much traffic's on the autostrada. Uh, so they were excited about that. We did that about this time last year together, and uh, they all send their greetings to you uh, as well. Johnny and Pina's health situation, their medical situation, uh, remains challenging for them. Penis surgery is tomorrow, and I know that they will appreciate your prayers for that. Johnny's surgery has not been scheduled, as you know. He fell and has uh, completely severed a tendon in his right shoulder uh, the last week of February. Uh, I won't take time to tell you all the things that have gone on since then. Uh, that has never been repaired. He has not been called for surgery. He is working, he has worked with two different surgeons at this point, and nothing is happening much. Uh, his arm is beginning to atrophy. Uh, I'm quite concerned about uh, long-term what's going to happen here. Uh, but in any event, we, uh, we had some good days together. He was not uh, feeling as well. I, I filled in for him several times, uh, trying to help him with the work while I was there. Uh, but... Hopefully in the next, uh, this next week, penis uh, health situation is going to be better and that, that will be helpful for Johnny as well. Okay, let's talk about Jeremiah this morning. Uh, and we're back in Jeremiah chapters 37 and 38. You remember that Jeremiah is uh, preaching during a period of time that's uh, very difficult for the people of God. They are in their country uh, socially and morally in a period that's very much like our country. Not so good. It just seemed like uh, all of the infrastructure was imploding. The moral inf infrastructure, the spiritual infrastructure, the political infrastructure. You had some tremendous 
division of ideology uh, regarding politics uh, in, uh, in Judah at this time, in Jerusalem. And so you had a very strong pro-Egyptian party. There were those in Jerusalem who very much wanted to form an alliance with Egypt, and they felt like that this was the key to their security and to their success. There were others who were saying, absolutely not. We need to form an alliance with Syria uh, to withstand us, Syria. And then later, uh, the Chaldeans, as they are the new boys on the block, uh, coming in. And so you had a very strong pro-Syrian party, even a pro-Assyrian party. And then you had the pro-Jehovah party, of which Isaiah had been a part some hundred years before Jeremiah. And now Jeremiah is coming on the scene. Isaiah, a hundred years before, had been warning them, look, you people didn't learn your lesson. God sent you a 9-11 when he took the northern kingdom down. And they went away into captivity. That was your warning. And you didn't pay a bit of attention to that. And you continue living as if this could never happen to you. It would never come again to this land. That Jerusalem is the city of God. The temple of God is there. Nothing will ever happen. You are being foolish. And God's patience is running out. And your time is up. And get ready. Judgment is coming. So Jeremiah comes onto the scene about a hundred years after Isaiah. He begins preaching about 630 B.C., 627, if you're writing it down. And, and, and he begins his preaching, and he's saying to the people, here's the word of the Lord. Doom, gloom, destruction, judgment's coming. And he preached it over and over again. And Tim, when the young, beautiful preacher stood up and preached, everybody cheered. And they said, peace and safety. When the old, fat, bald guy got up to preach, he said, doom, gloom, and destruction, judgment is coming. And nobody cheered. In Jeremiah chapter 37. We're at an interlude. The, let, me, let me just explain something. Jeremiah, the, the book is not laid out chronologically, which makes it a little difficult to study. But this, this, uh, this episode that we're looking at in chapters 37 and 38 Actually, it's related to what's happening in chapter 34. Uh, there was a period of time as the Chaldeans are beginning their siege on Jerusalem. There's a period of time when Pharaoh is coming up from Egypt. And the Chaldeans uh, get a little bit scared. And they pull back. So if you were in the pro-Egyptian party, it was a good moment for you. And you were, you were having the I told you so moment. Ah, but appearances were very, very deceiving. It looked like the Chaldeans were retreating. It looked like the Chaldeans, these Babylonians, it looked like they were going to 
retreat back to the north and go back home. It looked like the Egyptians were going to deliver the Jews. <laughs> Not hardly. Not hardly, but they didn't know that and they didn't believe that. Chapter 37 begins this way. And Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned as king instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of Jehovah, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. Okay, Zedekiah is the king. The text says in verse 3 that Zedekiah the king sent uh, Jehuqal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto Jehovah our God for us. You see that in verse 3? I want you to note something in verse 2 that the, pro that the prophet just said, that, that God just told us. They did not listen to him. And they did not hearken to his words. But now, what are they asking for? Oh, let's pray to God and ask him to bless us. Let's ask God to listen to us. Verse 4 says, Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not yet put him into prison. And Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans that were besieging Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they break up from Jerusalem. So the Chaldeans have begun their siege on Jerusalem, but now they hear the Egyptians are coming. And the Chaldeans, they decided, uh, we weren't counting on that. So here's what we can do. We can stay here unprepared for the Egyptians. Uh, we don't know how many are coming, what we're going to do. Or we can pull back and regroup and... And the Chaldeans decided to pull out, to pull back. They decided to retreat. Pharaoh's army from the south was coming. Verse 6 says, Then came the word of Jehovah unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith Jehovah the God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah that sent you to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt in their own land. Okay, here's the first word of the Lord. All of this cheering and applauding and the confetti flying everywhere that the Egyptians are coming and they're saving us, God said, get over it. They're not going to save you. And the Egyptians will go back home. And they did. But that's not all God said. Look at verse 8. He said this. And the Chaldeans shall come again. Oh, everybody, everybody in Jerusalem had already written them off. Oh, we won. We won. It's over. It's over. They're gone. God said, look again. They're not gone. They will come again and fight against this city. And they shall Take it, and they are going to burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, Deceive not yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. 
For though you had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, yet would they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire. God said, let me tell you something. I told you from the beginning the Chaldeans would come and bring judgment. That has not changed. And if you think that because they retreated, oh, God was wrong about that, you need to think again. And let me tell you, God said, if you were to fight against the Chaldeans and you were to wound every man in their army, God said, I'm telling you, every wounded man would rise up in his tent and they would still burn this city because God said that was going to happen. And it came to pass when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem into the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there in the midst of the people. And when he was, okay, so Jeremiah now is leaving. He's going out of the city also. The Chaldeans have left. He's leaving. But wait a minute. Jeremiah's the preacher that everybody hated. He was the doom, gloom, and destruction preacher. Jeremiah was the one who was constantly saying, the Chaldeans... The Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, now the Chaldeans are leaving the city. Guess who else is leaving at the same time? Jeremiah. Jeremiah was leaving the city at the same time the Chaldeans were leaving the city. Jeremiah was the only one who was saying, the Chaldeans are the ones, they are the ones. Everybody else was saying, no, the Egyptians are the ones, the Syrians are the ones, the Assyrians are the ones. No, Jeremiah saying, the Chaldeans. <laughs> They're the big boys. And now the Chaldeans are leaving, and Jeremiah's leaving at the same time. And you know what they said about Jeremiah? They said, you are a traitor. You are one of them. You've been with them all along, and now they are running, and you are running with them. And what did Jeremiah say in verse 14? In verse 14, Jeremiah said, no, sir, that is not true. That is a lie. I am not a traitor, and I am not with them. But they did not hearken to him. And Elijah laid hold on Jeremiah, brought him to the princes. They were angry with Jeremiah, and they beat him, and they put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. Jeremiah has spent almost 30 years telling these people they needed to repent. Judgment. And as he gets to the end of his preaching career, not only has he made no progress with the nation, but now he's being called a liar. He is being called a, a, a traitor. He is being beaten by his own people. Now he is being arrested and, and being uh, uh, held in the house of the scribe. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes in this life, when we are trying to serve God and when we are bearing the word of God on our own lips, sometimes in this life, we take some very hard knocks for doing what is right. And by that I mean, sometimes in this life, we get what we don't deserve. Now, sometimes we get what we deserve. But I'm talking about 
and our efforts to serve God and do right, sometimes it seems the more we try to do what is right, the more mistreated we are by the people around us. And the irony of all of this is that it's really not the Chaldeans at this point, it's not the Chaldeans that are inflicting the, the bruises and the pain and the suffering on Jeremiah. It's not coming from the Chaldeans at this point. It's not coming from the Egyptians at this point. It is not coming from the Syrians or from the Assyrians. It is coming from his own people. His own people are treating him like this. It seems that his greatest discouragement in life and the greatest wrongs that are being inflicted upon him are coming from his own people. And, and he goes, the king calls for him and he says, Do you have a word from the Lord? <laughs> and Jeremiah said, Yeah, I've got a word from the Lord. He said, I'm, I'm looking at verse 17 of chapter 37. I've got a word from the Lord. He said the same thing he said before. You, Mr. King, you will be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. That's the word of the Lord. It hasn't changed. And you get to chapter 38. These people are sick of Jeremiah. And, and now they go to the king and they say, hey, you've got to do something about this prophet. This old, fat, bald man, he just will not stop. You've got to stop. He's discouraging everybody. He is destroying the morale of the people. And he's destroying the morale of our army. And the people are becoming discouraged because he keeps saying, he keeps preaching his one sermon, doom, gloom, destruction. Judgment is coming. And now the men, the army, they're discouraged. They're laying down their weapons. They don't even want to fight anymore. They're so discouraged. you got to do something about it. And the, king, and the king said, you remember Pilate? You remember Pilate in the New Testament? And the king said, I'm washing my hands of this. i got nothing to do with it. I can't do anything about it. Do what you want with him. And so the text says, Zedekiah said, Behold, he's in your hand. The king is not so that he can do anything against you. And so they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the pit. The pit of Malchijah, the king's son. And was in the court of the guard. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. You ever wanted to just uh, throw something at the preacher in the pulpit? You don't have to say, but uh, it's one thing to throw a songbook at the preacher. It's another thing to beat him within an inch of his life and then tie him up and let him down into a hole in the ground, a cistern that has been dug out. deep into the heart of the earth, wherein once he reaches the bottom, there's no water there, only mud. And his 
beaten, wounded body sinks down into the mire around him. That's what happened to Jeremiah. They put him in a dark, filthy, muddy hole in the ground and left him there. I want to tell you something, folks. You think you've been treated in life in a way that is undeserved? Jeremiah had spent his entire life speaking the truth to God's people. He gets to the end of his life. This was his senior day. This was his prom. This was his graduation baccalaureate. Sometimes, sometimes life serves us up some really undeserved knocks. I'll tell you what we learned from Jeremiah. Four things very quickly. Number one, you've got to stand by your convictions. What, what you see in the life of Jeremiah over a 30-plus year span it is a man who was obedient to God even at tremendous personal cost. Do you remember in Jeremiah chapter 1 when God is calling Jeremiah to his prophetic office? And he's saying to Jeremiah, you're going to spend your life preaching to these stubborn and obstinate people. They're not going to listen to you, and they're not going to change, but you are going to deliver my word to them anyway. You're going to be an iron pillar and bronze What You're going to be tough. I'll tell you something about Jeremiah, ladies and gentlemen. He was tough. They hit him, and they came back and hit him again, and they came back again and again. And every time when the king would say, Jeremiah, do you have a message from the Lord? And he would say, yes, sir, I have a message from the Lord, doom, gloom, and destruction. Repent, judgment is coming. The message never changed. It never changed. Truth doesn't change. It, it would have been helpful if Jeremiah had just fudged a little bit. Or even if he had just said nothing. No, sir. He stood by his conviction. This is the word of the Lord. You remember in John the ninth chapter when the blind man is healed? When the man who had been born blind was healed, the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus said, no, it's, it's not about that. It's about the works of God. Let me show you. And Jesus healed the blind man. And, and then, then starts this big charade about how we're going to explain this to the people. And the Pharisees are all concerned that people are going to be impressed with Jesus. So they've already agreed if any man says that Jesus is the Christ, he's out. They're going to cast him out of the synagogue. So... They, they come to the man asking, how did this happen? And he said, I'll tell you what it was. This, he, he came to me. He, 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 he put this mud on my eyes. He said, go wash. And I did. And, and now I see. I <laughs> can't be it. And so you get down to verse 15. And now they're going to ask him a second time. Tell us, how did this happen? And he said, I'm telling you. He came to me. He put this mud on my eyes, I washed it off, and now I, I see. Oh, I can't be that, it can't be that. They go and ask his parents. His parents, who are cowards, they wouldn't answer the question. They said, well, ask him, he's, he's of age. 
So they come to him a third time in verse 26 and 27. And they ask him, tell us, how did this happen? He said, wow, you, you just keep asking me this. Do you want to be his disciple too? The truth hasn't changed. It doesn't matter how many times you ask the question. The truth doesn't change. One of the things God's people need to understand is that truth does not change. And we need to be convicted of truth, and we need to stand by our convictions. The third thing we need to see in the life of Jeremiah is the importance of making right choices. He was taken before the king. He was taken before the king a second time. He's taken before the king a third time. He has opportunity after opportunity to, uh, what can we say? Revise the message. He has opportunity after opportunity to help his personal situation a little bit here. But he doesn't. He chooses to speak the truth every time. The writer of Ecclesiastes warns about those who are going to fudge on truth, those who are going to make poor choices regarding truth. It may seem that the wicked get away with their wickedness, that sentence against the evildoer does not come quickly. Oh, but I'll tell you something Jeremiah understood. It didn't come quickly, but it was coming. It was coming. The writer of Proverbs said in chapter 13 and verse 15, don't kid yourself, the way of the transgressor is hard. It may seem like for the moment that's the easy way. It's not. It's not. Stephen in front of the Sanhedrin had a chance to redeem himself as he was being accused of being a supporter, a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth, and instead he indicted the Sanhedrin for having killed the Christ. And the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, I know what you're dealing with in the church there, and I know that there are people there who do not want the truth. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Preach the word. Suffer hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, that we ought to learn from the life of Jeremiah. Year after year, day after day, make the right choice. Doesn't matter if it seems to pay off in the moment or not. Make the right choice. Maintain your character and integrity. The circumstances of life notwithstanding, God wants His children to remember who we are. One of the things that Jeremiah never forgot in all of this ordeal is that he was a child of Abraham, a servant of the Most High God. And Job, the second chapter after Job has lost everything, he's lost his flocks, he's lost his herds, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his fields, he's lost his crops, he, he lost he, all of his children. His wife says to him, do you still maintain your integrity after all of this? Can't you see that all of your faith was for naught? You just need to curse God and die. <laughs> and Job said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
God did not give to us a spirit of timidity and fear. And he did not place within us a character of weakness and concession. We need to remember who we are. And as we deal with the difficulties in this life, as we are maintaining our faith, a godly walk in the midst of a wicked world, we need to be sure that day by day we are making decisions and choices that are consistent with the character and integrity that belongs to the children of God. And absolutely, without question, no circumstances withstanding, we must refuse to compromise. Is this what you believe, Jeremiah? This is absolutely what I believe. No apologies. No intimidation. I'm not backing up one inch on this message. There is to be no change of course here. This is what God said. You like it, you don't like it, it doesn't change a thing. I'm not taking one step away from this path. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he doth meditate day and night. Not one inch would be compromised as it pertained to truth. In Proverbs chapter 1, the father is saying to his son, My son, there's going to come a time when your friends are going to entreat you and beg you, and they're going to try to pressure you into being with them. Come on, be one of the gang. You can be one with us. Let's go do evil. Just say no. Refrain your foot from that path. Don't take one step in that direction. You just say no. Not one step. Joshua was told by God, you do not depart from my way, not to the left hand, not to the right hand. You stay on course. And Paul said to Timothy, I know what you're dealing with. I know the pressure that is there. And I'm telling you, preach the word. The time of my departure has come, Paul said. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, is going to give to me in that day, and not to me only, but also to all of them who have loved his appearing. Stay the course. And if you've had some hard knocks along the way, listen to me. Stay the course. Heads up, eyes forward. Ladies and gentlemen, this world is not our home. We're just passing Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And the angels beckon us. 
from that golden shirt. We cannot feel at home in this world anymore. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What wonderful words. What a wonderful day. And what a wonderful hope that sustains us. As we look at the life of Jeremiah, as we look at his faith, as we see him all the way through to the end, we see a man of God who persevered all of the hard knocks, with all the unfairness, with all the pain, with all the suffering, with all the realities of life. And when he came to the end, he knew just exactly who he was. And he knew just exactly the God whom he served. If you're here this morning and not a Christian, we invite you to come in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. If you've never bowed in submission to him, you can do that this morning, putting him on in baptism for the remission of sins and beginning your walk with him. If you're a child of God who needs to come home to the Lord, we beg you to come while we stand and sing.